I know you don't want to hear about Corona. Frankly, I don't want to talk about Corona. And I promise I won't say a single word about the disease itself or how many times you should sing happy birthday in your head when you wash your hands or anything like that. It's a serious thing and I won't pretend it's not. But great businesses will be started over the next six months. Corona will help us hit some inflection points that might open the door for you. And I want to talk through that. Because to tweak a popular phrase, the best time to start your company was a month ago. The second best time is today. One quick note on uncertainty before we get to that though. I got a bunch of calls this week from founders I've worked with, either freaking out over or ignoring completely the pandemic. They're in the 1% of reactions on either side of that bell curve. I realized I might be too. I realized maybe it wasn't totally necessary to tell my parents a week ago to not leave their house until summer or to wipe down my dog Ruby with disinfectant three times a day. So what's going on? The answer is the culture. Every story you hear about successful founders has them giving up everything, living in their car, eating ramen, paying themselves nothing. And it's celebrated. Risk everything for that massive payoff. The golden path is to raise money, take risks, raise more money, take bigger risks than at some point, hopefully buy an island. Every risk founders mitigate is just permission for them to take a bigger risk someplace else. So what's that got to do with coronavirus? Well, founders base state is to have their capacity to deal with uncertainty completely maxed out. We're taught to keep nothing in the tank because if you do keep something in the tank, someone else isn't going to, they're gonna take the risk you won't. So I got tons of calls this week from founders who simply couldn't handle this news. Luckily, most founders by nature are chameleons. They can adapt to anything and they will quickly, but it can't be good. The toll of emptying your mental reserves at all times just can't be a good thing. And I don't think it's the best way to build most businesses. For VC businesses, maybe that's just the toll, the price of admission, those are the stakes. But my point is, I'm just not sure that most founders understand that that's what they're signing up for when they think the first step of any business is to figure out how you can raise VC. It's not a VC problem, it's a marketing problem. And it's creating a bunch of people who don't have their feet underneath them when they need them there most. All right, rant over. I'm off my soapbox. Now, let's hop on another one. There will be books written on March 2020. Shit's getting pretty wild. And some of those books will include businesses that sprung from this chaos. As that creepy character from Game of Thrones that I don't trust as far as I can throw him, Baelish once said, chaos isn't a pit, chaos is a ladder. Priority one over the next weeks and months is to obviously keep yourself and your family safe. But I do think priority two should be focusing on what the world's gonna look like after this and what companies might be well positioned to start now. So let's do that. I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. If you got a startup idea and a full-time job, let's build it at gettacklebox.com. We're also brought to you by New York Tech Day. The biggest day for tech in New York City is April 23rd at the Javits Center. Get tickets at techdayhq.com. Startups often operate in a world of very slow and then very fast. It's a game of inflection points. Big trends build and build and build under the surface until an event catalyzes them and they break through. I had the idea for a dating app driven by Facebook in 2009. I called it Find Your Lobster. The thinking was simple. Lots of my friends were single, no one used dating apps, and everyone used Facebook. No existing dating apps used Facebook. But what people wanted in real life was to date their friends' friends. Now we have the power to do that because of Facebook. It seemed like a no-brainer to me but the stigma against dating apps was huge. So we built Find Your Lobster, an app that let you log in through Facebook and meet your friends' single friends. We figured we'd be able to understand and navigate the stigma better down the road. Everyone liked the idea. 
everyone thought it would work. Everyone agreed that five years from now, using an app like Find Your Lobster is how everyone would meet. And then nobody joined. I tried to figure out what would possibly let them make that jump. I talked to them about it and they never knew. So we scratched and clawed for each new user. We segmented by location, by alumni from the same college, by interest. Every user was a grind. Then Tinder launched. Tinder started in LA with good looking 22 year olds from sororities and fraternities, the local colleges. They smashed that stigma right up front. They invented swiping, which made the whole thing feel impossibly lightweight. And that was that, the world changed. I remember the first time I saw Tinder. I was with our designer and we thumbed through a few matches. We looked at each other and both at the same time said a word that I'm not gonna say here. His shoulders were hunched over. He looked at me. Well, this is it. This is what we needed to build. A few weeks later, the stigma was completely gone. Everyone in New York City had heard of Tinder and just about every single person in their 20s was on it. The zeitgeist had changed. Tinder's worth $10 billion. They paved the way for Hinge, Bumble, The League, and all the other hundreds of modern dating apps that are worth billions more. Sometimes the inflection point that changes the zeitgeist is subtle, the right customer segment or the ability to swipe. This inflection point, coronavirus, is not subtle, and it'll change a lot of things. And that's what we should be thinking about now. What's a post-corona world look like? Airbnb was started in August 2008, smack dab in the middle of the financial crisis. Dropbox was late 2007. You've probably heard people talk about these the past week. Going back further, Apple and Microsoft were founded in the 70s during a recession, and Apple's resurgence with the iPod was in October of 2001. GM was founded in 1908, while the financial system was reeling from a crash so severe it led to the creation of the Federal Reserve. Walt Disney was incorporated in 1929, smack dab in the middle of the Great Depression. You get it. Lots of companies have been started during recessions. Lots of companies are started during boom years, too. The lesson isn't that it's better to start a company during a financial or global crisis. The lesson is that the data says the state of the broader economy just doesn't matter that much. The timing for when a startup should be built has less to do with the economy and much more to do with whether customers are ready for that product or not. A big question investors ask that I love is, what makes this idea viable now when it wasn't before? Often market crashes create inflection points. Chaos creates ladders. It might be harder to raise money in a bad economy, but fewer people will be doing it. It might be harder to sell a service when people are tight with their money, but that'll force you to actually provide value and you'll end up building something with staying power. And if you can save companies money during this time, their ears will be wide open. It might be tougher to convince someone to leave their job and join you, but it'll be easier to find someone who was recently laid off through no fault of their own. So again, don't let the uncertainty and the chaos scare you. Focus on the trends. See how they interact with the Venn diagram you've got of skill sets, customer knowledge, and networks. Ask yourself the question, why now? Coronavirus is gonna create a lot of these inflection points. I actually had some fun thinking about what they could be. I came up with three core categories for them. When you think about these on your own, I think using these categories makes it pretty easy to come up with a bunch. Start with the first order shifts, the direct impacts of coronavirus. For me, these are all gonna focus on trust. Next, there'll be second order shifts, the result of the first order shifts. For me, these are all about community. And then there are the third order shifts, these take some dots to connect. For me, these are driven by clarity. Trust, community, and clarity. Let's start with trust, the first order shifts. You've probably heard a lot of pretty self-important people say that we're kicking off the greatest work from home experiment of all time. Well, I guess add me to that list. 
I think the forced work from home month plus will have will create lasting change. Roles that people assumed couldn't be done remotely will be done remotely. Communication is going to shift to more asynchronous methods as the stop by someone's desk will be replaced by email. The job to be done for meetings will be rethought because virtual meetings don't really jive well with small talk. They need to be actionable. They need to have a plan. And people will learn what working from home really means. You might have seen about 10,000 articles come out in the last couple of days from people telling you exactly how you should work from home. I guess you can read some of those. We won't talk about it here. The work from home trial leads to this one big shift in trust. No matter what excuse bosses use for keeping their employees working from the office rather than from home, the real reason they don't want it to happen is they just don't trust that employees will get as much work done out of the office as they do in the office. Full stop. This experiment will show them they're wrong. Employees will get more done. This will lead to more companies with either full-time work from home opportunities or flexible work from home schedules. This is the corporate work from home tipping point. Products that facilitate and create transparency to drive trust will succeed. Now things get interesting. That first one's pretty obvious. We gotta dig in more. Working from home is gonna create a whole bunch of second order consequences. Working from home means no commute. This means people will be happier and healthier. The streets will be less congested. The energy landscape will change. Right now, three quarters of Americans drive an average of 25 minutes to work each way and they do it alone. Climate change will be affected. Lots of good things are gonna happen, but there are gonna be challenges too. That's why the second theme is community. There's a quote I like by Daniel Gilbert. He says, we are happy when we have family. We're happy when we have friends. And almost all the other things we think make us happy are actually just ways of getting more family and friends. When people love their job, if you ask them what makes them love it, it's always the people. So if we wanna be happy, we need to be making and building relationships with friends and family. There's a massive opportunity to build products that support this in the work from home age. Community will become more important away from work as well because the itch won't be scratched at the office. If we aren't commuting, we're way less likely to go to a physical gym to work out. Peloton's already created the best virtual community plus workout product known to man, but there's tons of other opportunity here. Over the years, I've been pitched virtual trainers, virtual workout classes, virtual workout buddies, and on and on and on. Nothing's really stuck. But in the last week alone, I've seen a daily plank challenge over Zoom started by one friend promoted on Twitter, a Zoom yoga class started by another, and a daily push-up challenge Google Doc. The tipping point might be coming. Things like Zoom and Facebook are going to be the cornerstones for all sorts of different virtual relationship opportunities. No commute also means more time to cook. Cooking alone is not fun. Sharing what you made on Instagram after you've cooked it is kind of fun. Cooking with friends is really fun. Deep cooking experiences for all the customer segments who are about to be on day five of social distancing with some carrots, garlic, ground turkey, arugula, lentils, tomato paste, and a drawer, whatever old spices they've got. Those things are coming. Again, the point here is community. There are tons of these second order consequences I won't get into. They all stem from behavioral shifts that'll become permanent when working from home is a reality for more people. There's opportunity here. The third order consequences I see will all be around clarity. We've already gotten tons of cold emails and applications to Tacklebox in the last 10 days. Emergencies create perspective. They force you to confront your own mortality. They make you ask questions. Are you really doing what you want to be doing? For lots of people, this leads them to build businesses or to work for themselves. Clarity has also come for people through interactions with the leadership of their company. This type of event shows the leadership chops of the people you've hitched your wagon to. Many people have fallen short in the last 10 days. I've gotten tons of emails from people looking for startups to join. 
a place where they feel like maybe they'll be appreciated. Talented people are about to hit the market. Maybe they'll be ready to start a company with you. Maybe they'll be ready to join your company. Maybe they'll be ready to feel comfortable in a place with real leadership. Finally, clarity will come in tougher ways too. If you're running a company or you're at a company, you're about to see how valuable your product actually is to your customer. You're gonna see if you've got enough cash to survive all the churn that's about to happen. Clarity always creates churn. Businesses building non-essential products aren't gonna make it. So what's the big takeaway on clarity? Lots of talented people are about to become available to help you with all the businesses that pop up from the shifts from this inflection point. I've got a weird interest in Tony Robbins. I've heard he's an alien and I'm not sure that it's not true. He's like Paul Bunyan mixed with Bill Brasky. I've heard he's seven feet tall and 300 pounds. I've heard he doesn't know what year he was born. I've seen him walk on coals and someone who attended one of his conferences said he actually levitates. I don't know about any of that, but I do like his finance books. I think he's got good advice. And one core piece of his advice is that things go in cycles. Every 10 years or so, there's a big event that causes a ton of chaos. He argues that it's silly to freak out about it because we know it's coming. It's like freaking out every winter when it snows. The event might be scary, but the fact that an event is happening shouldn't be, and the result should be clear, opportunity. It's winter right now. We gotta stay inside and wear our jackets, but it'll end. So let's think clearly about what things will look like when it does and build for that. If you're about to dig in on a startup in your near social distancing future, give me a shout at brian at gettacklebox.com or just apply at gettacklebox.com. You can also start at the Start Here podcast on season one from Idea to Startup and go through those solo episodes. It's a pretty good way to start. The best time to start something for the post-corona world was probably six months ago. The second best time is today. I hope everyone stays safe and smart. 